You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, student minister Chris Crow brings us a message from the book of Daniel on standing up to the idols that we place before God in our lives. Thank you for joining us, and as always, we hope that this word encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. Good morning. So good to see everybody here. I always love gathering on a Sunday to uh, worship with other believers. My favorite time of the week. Um, would you guys please join me in prayer real quick as we get started? Father God, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning, for the opportunity to come and, and worship you and serve you in, in, in whatever way possible. Lord, I pray that this morning you will work through me, that your words um, and your scriptures will um, um, show us something that we can apply. Um, Lord, that you will let me step out of the way and that truly your, your truth will shine through. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this, uh, this semester and Wednesday night, we have just kind of launched a couple weeks ago, and um, we've been really excited uh, about what we have going on on Wednesday night with the youth. Uh, and what we've been talking about uh, so far is the life of uh, Daniel in Scripture and the story of Daniel and how in so many different ways he's had to stand up in the face of adversity, in the face of um, change, in the face of um, death, in the face of uh, other gods and other cultures and all these different things. Um, and really, if you look at the story of Daniel, it's all about him having to deal with tough decisions, um, tough situations that he's being put in. And there's a lot that we as Christians can kind of glean from the way that he, or the way that he handles uh, these situations uh, that he's been put in. So this morning, I want to kind of talk about some of the stuff that we've been um, talking about so far in Wednesday night, specifically in the way that Daniel handled a situation where he was, uh, where, where Daniel and his friends um, were put in a situation where they um, were put in front of different gods, different idols, and told, you must deny Christ and worship um, these idols, and how he responded um, to that. So to get us to the point in the story where we're going to be today, I want to give us a little bit of background so we know where we're at. Um, you've got the nation of Israel, and they have kind of gone through this somewhat of a civil war and kind of split up. And so you've got these different nations that have come out of it. And one of those nations is the nation of Judah. And at this point, um, Judah has been, uh, like most of the Old Testament, when you look at the nation of Israel, it's this uh, like roller coaster picture, this peaks and valleys kind of thing, where they're obeying God, they're, they're listening, they recognize the great things that he's doing, and they're worshiping him, and things are going great, and then they start to disobey, and they start to um, fall away, and they start to worship these other gods, and, and they're down in the valley. And so at this point in the story, Judah has kind of like turned away from God, and they're not obeying commandments, and they're they're worshiping other gods, and they're kind of down in one of these valleys now, and God says, um, I'm going to remove my protection from you because you have um, disobeyed me. You have neglected me. So he does that, and this nation of Babylon shows up and uh, starts to attack. So this great conquering nation of Babylon attacks the nation of Judah, and they have this strategy, this plan in their warfare where they, um, instead of going in and just destroying everything, they do what they can to weaken the nation of Judah. So they, they take from them their things that are valuable to them. They take um, all, like a lot of their artifacts, a lot of their, their, their money, their wealth, a lot of their crops. And they also take as captives um, a lot of the young men from the nation of Judah. 
Now, they weren't going to take these men and kill them. They weren't going to take these men and, and torture them or hold them hostage. What they were going to do, and this is their plan, is they take these young men um, who are eventually going to rise up to be the leaders of the nation of Judah, and they capture them, and they treat them very well. And they give them the nicest things with the hope that they will grow up as Babylonians, and they will eventually become leaders in the, the Babylonian commands, and um, in turn will stop their people, the nation of Judah, from, from revolting, from counterattacking. And so it's kind of like this psychological warfare. It's this um, kind of to keep the nation of Judah under their foot, they use their own people against them. So at this point in the story, um, the Babylonians have come in, they've captured a large group of these young men, and um, we won't talk about this a lot today. We talked about this in youth group, but um, the story that a lot of you guys might know is when um, they were all there, and they were told, you have all of this food available to you. Eat of the king's um, food, all of these great meats, all of this, um, so that you will grow up and you'll be strong. And there's three men. I have their names up here. Their names are, uh, well, four men, Daniel, and then his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah. And they, um, they refuse. They say, no, this food has been offered to idols, and we know we're not supposed to eat this. Now, an important thing to remember is that all the other people that are around them um, are their peers. They were also captured, and they were also raised uh, in a Jewish culture. So they know the same thing that these four men know. Um, but everyone starts to eat the food, and these four men say, no, we aren't supposed to do this. This food's been sacrificed to idols. And they, they say, we will not give in to this. And so they ask for vegetables and bread, and they essentially become... Uh, vegetarians and say, you know, just test us. We'll eat this, and at the end of 10 days, we will be just as strong as the rest of them. And so they do that. They're just as strong, and the people say, okay, well, we will allow you to not eat of the king's food. We will allow you to eat the vegetables and the bread, and God had favor on them. He had favor on them in this situation because they obeyed his commands, and so they started to rise up in the ranks. And at the point in the story that we're going to be looking at today, um, these four men are leaders in the nation of Babylon. They are officials. They are um, leaders in the army. Um, they are higher-ups. So you've got these, these, these men who grew up one way, and now all of a sudden everything in their life is flipped. They're in a new culture, in a new nation, um, listening to new people, and they even have new names. If you look... Um, the Babylonians say, these will be your new names. And you've got Belshazzar, and you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So everything about their lives has changed. And they're put in these situations where they have to make tough decisions. So they've already made the right decision once. God has had favor on them. They rise in the ranks. And then we get to this point in the story. And we're going to learn about um, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. So I'm going to start reading in Daniel 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Read 1 through 6. So um, if you follow along, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, the king of the Babylons, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 60 cubits, and he set it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the providence to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now it gets kind of repetitive here, so just bear with me. And it says, then the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, and the magistrates, and all of the officials of the providence gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, 
You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, we know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have risen up. They are officials, so they would have been included in this group that was to come to this dedication and was commanded that when they hear the music to bow down and worship the golden image. Now, for someone to build a statue this big of themselves and put it in the middle of the city and say, worship this, they have to be pretty full of themselves, right? They have to be pretty arrogant. Um, I don't like pictures of myself. Um, I have a Facebook and I have a bunch of pictures on Facebook, but I have never once posted a picture to Facebook. One, because I don't know how to do that yet. I haven't figured it out. And two, because I don't, I think I look goofy in pictures. They always get like, you know, they say, make sure you get my good side. I don't know if I have a good side. So no matter where the camera is, I think I look goofy in these pictures. Um, But even worse than this, how many people in here don't like the sound of their voice when they hear it like on a recording? Don't Don't be embarrassed. I think we all have heard our voice and said, that's not me. There's no way I sound like that. Um, This sermon is being recorded, and I probably won't listen to it again. One, because I don't want to bore myself. And two, because I don't like the sound of my voice. So I don't like pictures of myself. I don't like the sound of my voice. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he builds a giant statue of himself, and he puts it in the middle of Babylon. He says, worship this statue of me, this image that I have made of myself. So he's, he's, he's so obsessed with himself that he feels that people need to see a bigger version of him. So the instruments start playing, and the people start bowing down to worship the statue. And after the tune finishes, some of the officials approach the king, and this is what they say. In Daniel 3, verse 11, it says, And whoever does not fall down in worship shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jewish men who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So these officials come and say, you said this, and these men aren't following your commands. And then it says, King Nebuchadnezzar is in furious rage, commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought them, they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. So, essentially, King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, um, I commanded this. And I said, if you don't do this, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace, but I'm giving you a second chance. When you hear the music, if you don't fall down, or if you you fall down in worship, great, we'll move on. But if you don't, you will immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. And then he challenges them, and he challenges God by saying this. He said, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? 
He says, I will throw you into the burning fiery furnace, and there is nothing that will save you. What God can save you from that? Now, if you look at some of the research that's been done about that time and about this, this idea of the furnace, it wasn't just like a furnace that was going to heat your house. It was a giant, massive furnace that was very, very dangerous. And, and some researchers say that even the guards who would have taken them there um, would have probably died from the heat just trying to get people people to this furnace. So it was a giant, dangerous furnace. And, and essentially, King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, nothing can save you from what I have planned for people who don't worship me. What God is going to save you from that? So how would you respond in this situation? This guy has all the power. He's called you out. He's called your God out. And he said, here's your second chance. What are you going to do? Are you going to bow down? Or are you going to stand strong in the face of these idols? So today I want to briefly talk about what these young men faced. Um, and, and talk about the question, are we going to stand in the face of idols? Or are we going to submit and give in? Um, now obviously, we know in our culture, in our day and age, and especially in what, like American culture, um, that if we see a giant golden statue of some figure or some god, we shouldn't worship it. It's pretty obvious to us. We've, we've grown up in church, or we, we've learned that it's, not ob- like, it's obvious that we don't worship that. Now, um, when I was in college, I went to China with some friends on a mission trip, and we went into some temples where there were giant statues, giant, these beautiful, like, elaborate statues of these false gods, and there were people worshiping them. And I never walked into one of those temples and thought to myself, you know, I should bow down to this thing. Like, I, need, I should worship this. That thought never crossed my mind because... We don't do that. We know to avoid those things. But we live in a world where there are false gods and, and idols all around us every day that sometimes we don't even think about that we are worshiping, that we are succumbing to, that we are um, looking at and turning them into um, gods, money, popularity, um, talent, pleasure, relationships, all these things. We choose these things over God. And as Christians, uh, we are tempted to fall into worshiping these things as well. They may, they may not be huge statues, but they come in other forms. And sometimes they come in even more dangerous forms because we don't even realize it's happening. So uh, what I want to do this morning is just go over some of the big ones. And, and the reason I want to do this is because um, we've all heard this. But we need reminded. I need reminded because we still fail. We still fall into these things. So we're going to go over just a couple of them. Uh, The first one is a big one. It is money. Uh, Now, unfortunately, we live in a world where we need money. We need money to survive. We need money to buy things that help us survive. We need money to buy food, and we need money to buy water, and we need money to buy shelter, and we need money to buy clothes because everyone knows, you know, nobody wants to see us all walking around naked. So we need money to buy these things in order um, to survive. But what happens is, over time, this need for money to buy the things that we need becomes a desire for money um, so that we can live not just somewhat comfortably, but so that we can live extravagantly. And we start to think, if I don't have these nice, nice things, then I'm failing, and I'm falling behind, and I'm in poverty. And so we assume that those are necessities, and really they are luxuries. And so this need for money grows and grows and grows. And I have this problem, and Emily can attest to this, I have this problem where when it comes to technology— I'm terrible at technology, but I love it. And so I, when it comes to technology uh, and buying stuff, I feel this need to buy the, the best model of everything, the newest model, the most expensive model, 
Um, and so I've been made fun of because I have like three or four really nice pairs of headphones. Headphones are like my weakness. They're my kryptonite. It's, if it's a good pair of headphones, I'm tempted to buy it. And people are like, why do you need so many good pairs of headphones? It's the same sound that's coming out of all of them. But I just love a good pair of headphones. And it's because these companies are so good at making their products look good and sound good and feel good. And, and, and we, we feel like we need these things in our lives. We're constantly being told um, what we need to have to make ourselves better, to make ourselves feel better, to make ourselves uh, fit in. Um, and, and, and so like phones, we all have phones. Uh, working in children's ministry, it amazes me, the further we go in life, um, the younger people are when they have full access to a smartphone with a plan and everything. Um, and it's crazy. Like, I get it. It's becoming more and more necessary for communication, things like that. But when you look at phones, we all have phones. We all have iPhones, uh, Samsungs, all these, like, these smartphones. Um, but they come out with a new one every single year, and we buy the new one every single year. The, you know, iPhone just announced they're coming out with their new iPhone 8 and the, and the iPhone 10. And there's probably a lot of people who have perfectly good functioning phones who will spend tons of money on the new one because of the features that it comes with. But these companies, they have such a great strategy of putting out a new phone every year that really, and this is, hope, hope I don't ruin anything for anybody, they're no different than the phones from the year before. <laughs> but what they do is they add these little things that we think look really cool to catch our eye, and they jack the price up and they make our old phones stop working so we have to buy them. <laughs> so these companies have these plans, but it's all this mindset of we need. You need this. This will make you happy. This will make you fit in. This will make you better. I know people who will get rid of most everything in their life as long as they have access to the newest phone, the newest um, technology. And the thing is, these things aren't bad. Cell phones aren't bad. Technology isn't bad. We can use those things in great ways. But what happens is, over time, um, this desire for stuff, this desire for money to buy more stuff, starts overriding our desire for God. And money and the things that we um, worship, it, it becomes the things that we worship with our thoughts, with our finances, with our time. It becomes uh, everything. And sometimes we don't even realize it. So money. The next one, relationships. And this one's weird. Because relationships are something that, in Scripture, we, we see that we need to strive after. Um, and I understand that. It's not good for man to be alone. We, want, we should be in um, communion with other people. We should be in relationships with other people, love one another, care for one another. Um, the problem arises when our need for relationships with others overshadows our need, uh, our desire to have a relationship with God. Um, so often we want to be loved and we want to be respected by others, so much that we put God in the back seat so that we don't offend anybody, so that we don't turn anybody off, so that we don't turn anybody away because we need those, we feel like we need that relationship with other people and, and we feel like God might get in the way of that. So we kind of put him in the back seat. And I think this happens a lot in dating relationship and marriage relationships. Um, we start to view these relationships as something to be worshipped rather than what they really should be, which is an act of worship to God. Our relationship should be an act of worship to God, not something to be worshipped. And this is a huge area for many people. We become obsessed with others. Um, we find those people that we love or, or sometimes that we don't even really know, but we say um, that we love. And, and we start to compromise in certain areas of our lives. And often God is one of the first things to be pushed out for the sake of these other people. 
Relationships are great. We need to have them in our lives to support us so people can build us up, but we can't let our relationships with others trump our relationship uh, with God. And this is the hard fact to hear about this. Um, We often look at negative relationships as what often become idols. You know, the people in our lives who who are steering us in the wrong direction and they're bad influences on us, and we start to really follow them, and we say, that's just a, that's, a, some, that's an idol I've set up for myself, and that's bad. But the fact is, is that negative relationships aren't the only relationships that can become a problem. Oftentimes, positive relationships, people that um, are good examples, people that are great influences, we, we build them up and we set them up as idols, as these great role models that we, sometimes we look to their judgment and to their wisdom before we seek God. Anything or anyone that we put before God is inappropriate. I love my wife, and I love our child that I've never met, but I still love him, um, and that's a great relationship. But I also understand that Emily is not somebody to be worshipped. She's not somebody for me to be worshipped in the most intimate relationship that we have on this earth. That is a relationship that is to be used as worship for God. Um, But I know that I cannot put her above God. So we got money and we got relationships. Um, this third one, this is big in our uh, culture, especially in the academic world, um, is science. Now, I love science. Science is really cool. Um, my grades in elementary school probably don't reflect that I love science, but I do. I think it's really cool. Um, but the thing about science is that it's constantly changing. I don't know if you've picked up a science book lately, like a textbook, but oftentimes you'll see like in big letters, science, and then underneath it, it says like 117th edition. Because it's constantly being changed, it's constantly being updated, we're discovering new things, we're discovering that we don't believe any longer what we we believed in the first place, and and it's constantly changing. And one big example of this um, that I've personally dealt with is Pluto. Now I'll tell you what I mean by I've personally dealt with this. Pluto, you know, the planet or the non-planet, depending on what side of science you land, it's been classified, it's been declassified, is it a planet, what is it? Um, I remember in the third grade, I was given an assignment, our whole class was, and this was a big, like it was 20% of our grade or something like that, and we were assigned a planet, and we had to do this big presentation. We had to write papers, we had to make um, diagrams, we had to um, give, you know, a presentation to the class, all these things on our planet, and I was given Pluto. And so I was like, great, I have the smallest planet, I have the furthest planet away, I have the coldest planet, like all these cool things, and I worked really hard on it, and, which was rare for me in third grade, and so I put a lot of effort into it, and I was so excited about it. I did. I got a great grade on it and everything went well. And now I come to find out that all of that might have been for nothing. Like, I'm not even sure if I deserve to have passed the third grade because Pluto's not even a planet. And I did this whole assignment based on the theory that Pluto is a planet. Science is constantly changing. Um, but the fact is God doesn't. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and always but what we do as a culture, what we do as human beings is we, we desire, we long after like cold hard evidence that's right in front of us. And so we believe things because people have presented it to us in a way that we think, well, it can't, that's obvious. It can't be. Um, up until uh, the, late, um, the late 80s, creation, uh, as in creation by God, was a popular thing to be taught in schools uh, as, as an alternative, like, as something that we could explain for creation. And then, since then, over time, it's kind of been pushed out of the way so that we can make room for this only teach evolution mindset. And it's, the, you know, we say, well, we have facts on this. We have evidence on this. Um, but it's often at the expense of the truth of Scripture. 
And so, so we go with what we think is the most obvious, and, and we start to fall into this path of, um, well, we can't fully understand or know God, so I'm going to go this direction. And we start to set science up and facts up and, and, and what we consider to be truth when really it's not as an idol, as um, a god. There's nothing wrong with science. But when it, is repla- when it was used as a replacement for the truths of God, it's dangerous. And, and we see people falling away from God every day because of science. And it's been set up as an idol and something to be worshipped. So we've got money, we've got relationships, we've got science, and then this last one, this is the big one, and this is the one that I think a lot of us deal with, um, whether we realize it or not, it's self. We, we, uh, we look inwardly at ourselves, and we start to see ourselves as something to be worshipped in the way um, that we act. Um, if you guys remember, it hasn't been long, but if you remember the selfie stick, you know, the retractable stick, you put your phone on the end, you take a picture of yourself, um, you don't see them as often anymore because Disneyland banned them. But um, they used to be huge. They used to be everywhere. And the whole idea of it, you know, it's fun. You, you could take pictures of stuff. But we have all of these great things happening around us. And all of the, the memories that we're going to have are going to be um, of us and whatever's going on behind us. And, and this is just, it's an example of this mindset that we have where it's all inward thinking. It's all about self. Um, we, we obsess over image comparing ourselves with other people. And you've got women who are trying to compare themselves with the women they see on magazines. You've got men trying to compare themselves to the people that they have at the gym, the, you know, the strongest guy at the gym, the guy with the best arms, all this kind of stuff. And, and we want to be better. We want to be like other people because we are obsessed with our image, with our, uh, our self. And we turn around and we take um, our self, our creation of God and we worship it as if it is a God. And it's selfish. And we see it presented in so many different ways in our world with the way we interact with other people. If, if something doesn't benefit us, who cares? Why do we need it? If something doesn't serve our ultimate goal, then we push it to the side. It's all self-serving, and we're starting to see a culture that's more concerned with what's going on here than what's going on around them. And we set ourselves up as idols. So you've got money, you've got relationships, you've got science, you've got self, you've got all these idols um, that are presenting themselves around us every day. And I'm sure you guys can think of other ones. And we have to, we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do when we realize that these are idols? And we have to make that decision. Are we going to continue to worship these things? Or are we going to stand strong and worship God? I want to look back at the story with Daniel to kind of see what they did and see what we can glean from that. So we're going to go back to Daniel 3, um, verse 16. Um, this is after, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar says you can either bow down and be fine or you can stand strong. You can um, not worship the image of me and you'll be thrown into the fire furnace and nobody will be able to save you. And this is their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And I love this next verse, 18. It says, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up. And I love, love this response. Because the king says, you can bow down and be fine, or or you can refuse and be thrown into the fiery furnace where you will die 
and nobody can save you. And they say this, I know that our God is stronger than your furnace. I know that our God is stronger than you and your image and this statue. And I know that he can save us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, even if it's not in his will to save us from the fiery furnace, we will worship him and love him so much that we will continue to refuse to worship your idols and your gods. And even in the face of death, they say we will not worship these false gods. And there are so many false gods that we face. We talked about some examples, and we might not bow down to some big golden idols, uh, but in the world we live in, do we stand for Christ in what we worship? Or do we bow down instead and worship at the feet of ourselves because we think that we are so important and life is all about us? Or do we bow down uh, and worship money and things because we think we need more money and things to be happy? Or do we bow down to our, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, our husbands, our wives, our friends, um, and, and look at them as idols or even just the thought of those relationships? When the world offers us these things that look amazing on the outside, so many Christians just give in. And they worship idols. That's what they are. They're idols. But these things will never truly satisfy. Only God will truly satisfy. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the face of death, said, no matter what, even if you kill us, or threaten to kill us, we will not worship your gods. We will only worship the one true God. One quick story before we're done here. Uh, during the ancient Roman times, um, Rome itself and Caesar were, were the things that were worshipped. People would, you know, they would chant, you know, there is no God but Caesar. And, and it, was, it was state and the, and the king and the leader, and that's who was worshipped. And during the reign of, the, uh, of an emperor whose name was Basil, um, there were 40 soldiers uh, some of you guys might have heard this story. There were 40 soldiers who openly announced that they were Christians. In the face of everything, when they were told to only worship um, Rome and Caesar and, and, and these, these leaders, um, they, they came out and they said, we are Christians. We worship God. And they were sentenced to death in a very gruesome way. They were sentenced to death by being forced to strip down and stand in the cold until they died. And, and so they did. They, they didn't refuse God. They didn't deny him. Um, and to make this worse, they also set up these warm baths. That, and they said, if you deny Christ, you could be saved. You can come over here. We'll take care of you. Everything will be fine. And they put this temptation right next to them. And so these 40 soldiers went out, and they stood naked in the freezing cold, um, ultimately knowing that they would die. And as the night dragged on, the men stood held together. And among the confessors, one yielded. And he left his companions, and he sought the warm baths um, that were near the lake that had been prepared for those who would deny Jesus. And one of the guards who was supposed to be watching over these men to make sure that they didn't leave, that they didn't run off, that they didn't revolt, saw the faith and was blown away by the faith of the other 39 that he proclaimed Christ. He himself stripped down and joined them, saying, your God is obviously powerful. You obviously have great faith in this God. I want to worship and serve this God. So he joined them. And the next day, um, the Romans, they took the dead bodies of all 40 of these men. And they burned them. And, and, but some Christians collected the remains. And they spread the story of these great men's faith. And their story changed others. Their story of faith in God changed others. For these men, even when faced um, with the prospect of dying, 
a gruesome, brutal death, they wouldn't deny Christ. One did, but the example of the other 39 changed the bystander and, and in turn changed a lot of people. So we have to be honest with ourselves. When we um, are faced with these idols, one, are we going to recognize them? Are we going to see them as idols? Or are we going to continue living kind of with these blinders on? And two, are we going to submit to them and worship them? Or are we going to stand strong and only worship God? The God that never changes. The God who um, is faithful. It's becoming unpopular to say, I'm a Christian. To say, I follow Christ. It's becoming more and more difficult in this world to stand strong for Christ. But I believe it's in these times when it's becoming more and more difficult that our conviction and our faith to stand will be a greater example to those around us. So when faced with these things, are we going to submit or are we going to stand strong for Christ? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for, um, for your scripture, for your examples, uh, for the men that you have placed before us. Um, that we can learn from. Lord, I pray that you help us to recognize the things in our lives that we set up as idols, that we set up as gods, and to um, kind of cast them aside, Lord, so that you can shine through, so that you can be our true um, source of, of worship, act of worship. Lord, I pray that everything we do will be for your glory. And Lord, most importantly, we thank you for the sacrifice you made for us, that we have the opportunity um, at eternity in glory in heaven with you. And it's for that reason that we gather here, and it's for that reason that we meet, and that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.